Chapter 1 The Opening Al-Fatiha In the name of God, the most compassionate, the most merciful. The Quranic chapters in general are arranged in a descending order of size, starting with longer chapters and gradually diminishing in size and number of verses. Based on this formula, the appropriate place for this chapter should have been towards the end of the Quran, although it actually inaugurates the book and is positioned at the opening of the Quran. This chapter is made up of seven verses, a number that has a special symbolic meaning. In addition, it offers a summary and an index by introducing, in general, all the Quran's major topics, praising God, Hamd, Divinity, Uluhiya, Lordship, Rububiya, God's infinitely compassionate nature, Rahman, His merciful nature, Rahim, and the status as the master of the Day of Judgment, Maliki Yomiddin. This chapter clarifies the three most important Quranic teachings, Tawheed, Monotheism, Nubuwa, Prophethood, and Ma'ad, the hereafter. Tawheed is unadulterated and radical monotheism. Hidayah, guidance, means that God has sent prophets and messengers to guide people to the right path. And finally, Ma'ad, the belief that another world will follow this one and that we will return to God. It is narrated that the Prophet said, There is no valid ritual prayer, Salah, without the recitation of Al-Fatiha. Muslims recite it at least ten times each day for it is the first recitation of each cycle of the five daily prayers. However, most fail to pay adequate attention to its deep meaning. The entire Quran is a dialogue between God and us, and this chapter is a conversation between us and God. Perhaps this is why it is considered both a part of the Qur'an and also an independent entity at the same time. Other chapters talk about other prophets, messengers and their communities, and good and bad deeds. However, this chapter teaches us how to dialogue with God. In the name of God, Allah, the Most Compassionate, the Most Merciful. The word Allah denotes the person of God, while his other names such as Ar-Rahman, the Compassionate, and Ar-Rahim, the Merciful, refer to his attributes. This is similar to people having specific names recorded on their birth certificate while being known for their various attributes, such as bravery, leadership, and kindness. The invocation, in the name of God, the most compassionate, the most merciful, makes us realize that God, the one who created us, is all-compassionate 
and all-merciful, and therefore not apathetic toward us. His mercy shines on humans like the sun's light. God is the light of the world, and without this light, our world would exist in the abyss of darkness. Without its warmth, life could not be sustained. There is a mutual relationship between God and human beings. For at every moment, He is blessing us with compassion and mercy. God possesses two kinds of beneficence, Rahman and Rahim. Rahman is the general mercy that, like the sun's light and warmth, includes everyone and shines upon all parts of earth equally. This is God's one-way mercy. Rahim, his two-way mercy, is similar to objects that can absorb more, and thus receive more, light and warmth. Stones mainly repel the sun's light, whereas water and forests are able to absorb more of its light and warmth. Rahim is God's special or earmarked mercy. The more that people expose themselves to it, the more they receive. This mutual relationship is similar to a teacher who teaches the entire class but pays more attention to those students who apply themselves seriously, pay closer attention, and ask insightful questions. The Quran repeats that the polytheists did not believe in the attributes of Rahman and that whenever they were told to prostrate to him, they would ask, What is Rahman? The Prophet had no issue with them in terms of proving God's existence. As a matter of fact, no Quranic verse attempts to prove his existence, for they all believed in God, but their belief was polluted with superstition and polytheism. All of the prophets quarreled with polytheism about the lordship of God. For example, Abraham's discussion with Nimrud and that of Moses with Pharaoh were about accepting his lordship and all-encompassing merciful attributes. Praise be to God, the Lord, possessor of discretion of the worlds, the one and only God, the Lord of the worlds, Rabbil Alameen, is worthy of praise, Hamd. This verse emphasizes God's next attribute, His Lordship. Rabb is translated as sole owner or Lord, indicating that He is the leader. Some people believe that God is the loving and caring creator of the world, but may not feel that he is their master and the manager of the world's affairs. There is a great difference in believing that God is the master, the possessor of choice, who has discretion over everything, and just believing that he is our creator. In the former case, we feel that we are in need of him and thus strive to seek his approval and pleasure, whereas in the latter case, we treat him like a watchmaker who left after finishing his creation. Those who understand his lordship both fear 
and simultaneously place their hope in Him. Their heart beats for God. They know that they can breathe only because of His mercy, and that their eyes open and close due to His blessing alone. Hamd, when prefixed with a definite article, Alhamd, connotes exclusive praise. In other words, God is the source of all praise, and praising other things originates from this conception of praise and not in parallel to it. Our aptitude, intellect, success in this world, being blessed enough to serve others and so on, all of this emanates from one source. This verse denotes that God is the manager, administrator, and Lord of the worlds, which of course includes humanity. The first two verses are an introduction to knowing God. The most compassionate, the most merciful. This phrase is also a part of the invocation at the start of the chapter. In the name of God, the most compassionate, the most merciful. This descriptive phrase expresses two different states. One, it introduces God as the fountainhead of compassion, both in the general and the exclusive sense. In other words, God's essence is joined with mercifulness. And two, it follows the proclamation of God's lordship, denoting thereby that it is also rooted in compassion and mercy. Lordship is God's management aspect, wherein both His essence and management are governed by His compassion and mercy. He does not manage us because He needs us or other creatures, but because of His all-encompassing mercy. This is similar to parents who raise us or teachers who educate us, not because they need us, but because of their love and desire for us to grow and succeed. Master of the Day of Judgment The first word in this verse could be read as Malik, Master, or Malik, Monarch. The word Yawm does not connote a 24-hour time period. Rather, it refers to a phase in the future. Etymologically, deen means reward and recompense, as opposed to the religion of Islam. We spend our lives engaged in different endeavors, and whatever we have sown here, we will reap in the hereafter. This is similar to students who obtain their certificates or degrees at the conclusion of each phase of their schooling for their accomplishments will result in their subsequent reaping of worldly benefits. Who is the owner and sole possessor of that day? And who will be the decision-maker? God is both the sole owner and also the monarch, with full discretion. It is important to appreciate that He is Allah, both Rahman and Rabb, this connotes that not only do we need Him in this world, but that our future 
in the hereafter also depends upon him. For God is the master and ruler of both worlds. You alone do we worship, and you alone do we ask for help. The phrase, you alone we worship, إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدُ introduces the concept of ibada, which is often translated as worship, for that word hardly does justice to the Arabic word's full meaning. Ibada means to proclaim a state of surrender and obedience. This term is also defined as leveling a road in today's Arabia. We should not resist God's commands. Rather, we need to level our beings to become receptive in obeying them. If God commands us to be generous, forgiving, kind, and sacrifice in His cause, our beings should absorb these imperatives like a sponge and fulfill them. We seek only His help and express this attitude towards Him exclusively. Ibadah inculcates the desire to be obedient and submissive to God alone. However, is this sufficient or should we seek God's help? Of course we need His help. In reality, while trying our best to discover God, we are also seeking His help. Therefore, you alone do we ask for help. connotes that we seek help only from and bow only to Him. Seeking His help here is in relation to guidance and therefore differs from the common understanding and interpretation of help. There are no intermediaries or intercessors, and only He is living, all-hearing, all-seeing, self-subsisting, ever-present, observer, controller, and witness, all being God's attributes. Guide us to the straight path. Before Islam, a Hadi would lead a caravan to its destination. Due to the extreme heat, people preferred to travel at nighttime by reading the stars and benefiting from their light. So, Hidayah does not mean mere guidance, but connotes to show the way by leading. If someone asks you for directions to a certain place and you provide them, this constitutes guidance. But if you lead the person to the desired destination, then you have provided Hidayah. It is not enough just to know the way, because the characteristic of the Hadi and traveling along on the right path is also necessary. Thus, the Qur'an provides hidayah only to the God-conscious, muttaqeen, believers, mu'mineen, righteous, muhsineen, and submitters, muslimin, for they have truly surrendered to Him.
Bearing this in mind, prophets and messengers were hadi because they knew how to walk on the path of spirituality and lead people to prosperity and salvation in the midst of worldly mirages. If Hidayah meant just to show the way, then this book would have guided anybody who could learn, read, memorize, and or interpret it. Knowledge and knowing are needed, but they are not enough. Being mindful of God finds expression in an ongoing internal struggle to control one's whims, caprices, and lower desires. Ihdina means guide us, not just guide me. This chapter emphasizes us because our destinies are intertwined. Metaphorically speaking, we are all on the same ship. We beseech God to take us by the hand and guide us toward the right path. Many words in the Quran mean road or path, but sirat indicated a level and wide road similar to a modern freeway. It is a thoroughfare and straight path which is neither wavy nor confusing. If we ask God at least ten times a day to guide us to the straight path, should we not know what kind of path we are seeking? The path of those whom you have blessed, not of those who incur your wrath, nor of those who have gone astray. In case we are unaware of the straight path, God enables us to comprehend that it is the path of those who receive his blessing. Na'ma, na'mat. This does not refer to blessings in the general sense of the word, for our entire being is God's blessing. Rather, the reference here is to a specific kind, that Quran chapter 4 verse 69 enumerates its recipients as prophets, people who attested to the truth of the prophets, such as Jesus' disciples, Moses' companions, and the prophet's companions and his followers, those who sacrifice their life and possessions while serving as a living role model, as well as those who seek reform and fight against immorality and public disorder. This verse ends by proclaiming what beautiful companions they are. When calling God to guide us to the path of those whom you have blessed, during our daily prayers, we should remind ourselves of the people who possess such attributes. The exegetes conjecture that the one who apportioned divine wrath, Mahdubi alayhim, refers to the Jews because on ten occasions the Quran says that they became the recipients of his wrath for disobeying him and worshipping the material world. Gone astray, Zalin, refers to those Christians who took partners with God, the Trinity. Of course, these characteristics also encompass Muslims. 
In the Quran, such other sins and attributes as polytheism, shirk, hypocrisy, nifaq, and rejecting and denying God, kufr, also incite his wrath. This chapter opens our eyes to the three aspects of God, divinity, uluhiyya, lordship, rububiyya, and his all-comprehensive merciful nature, rahmaniyya. By looking into the future, we realize that our life, both in this world and in the hereafter, is in his hand. We make a covenant with him to obey only him, to carry out his ibadah, and to seek only his help. We ask only that he be our sole guide and grant us the ability and the strength to follow no one and nothing other than him.